So we've been doing this series on the words of red, looking at the sermons of Jesus. And kind of, we, we just switched from looking at the Sermon on the Mount a couple of weeks ago to last week, uh, Joe taught us the first part of Mark chapter 4. We're getting into uh, a few week period where we're going to look at the parables of Jesus. And I think it's important for us to think about how Jesus used parables. In fact, if you look at verse 33 of Mark 4, it says clearly that with many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And so Jesus got into this habit of using parables. He was doing so on purpose. This wasn't off the cuff. This was his plan. He had a purpose in this. He wanted to use parables for different reasons. One of the reasons Jesus spoke in parables was to literally expose the hardness of our hearts. If you go back in chapter 4 to verse 11, uh, Joe mentioned this last week, but it bears repeating, where Jesus says in verse 11 of chapter 4, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He's talking to his disciples. But to those on the outside, all things come in parables, and then listen, he quotes Isaiah, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Now, it sounds really harsh, doesn't it? It sounds as if Jesus is saying, I don't want them to understand, but that's not exactly what he's doing. Jesus teaches in parables in a way that shows us what's actually going on in our hearts. When you were a kid, did you ever take one of these colorblind tests? You know what I'm talking about? There are these, all these kind of different colored dots. And, and within those dots, there's a certain hue of color. And that, those, hues, those hued dots shape a, a letter or a, a number, usually. And so th- this is one of these tests. You guys know what I'm talking about? Any here know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. Just making sure. So I took those tests and failed miserably because I'm colorblind. But here's the thing that I do realize, those tests did not make me colorblind. They simply exposed my colorblindness. And that's what the parables do. One of the things that parables do is they show the audience, hey, are you paying attention? Do you really want to know what Jesus has to say? And so that was one of the reasons he taught in parables. But another reason was, was to actually illustrate the truth. What did he say in verse 13 of chapter 4? He says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? In other words, Jesus taught that this parable of the uh, soils that, that, Mar- that um, Joe taught us last week, that that parable kind of sets sort of the stage for the other parables. It gives us a key by which we can understand the other parables. It's meant for us to help understand truth, illustrate truth. In fact, that's what he gets at at verse 30 when he says, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? These things are meant to be similes or word pictures that illustrate a truth. That's why Jesus taught in parables. But also, listen, Jesus taught in parables to encourage people to ask questions. He would teach in a parable and these guys would just kind of scratch their heads and they would say to Jesus, we don't understand, can you explain things better? And what did we just read in verse 34 of chapter 4? That basically when he was alone with them, he explained all things to his disciples. And so it's important for us to recognize Jesus is using these parables to do these things. He's wanting to show his audience, look, you resist truth. That's, that's true of us as well, isn't it? Naturally speaking, us as human beings, we, we resist truth. Paul says in Romans that we suppress truth 
in our unrighteousness. We push, kind of push it down. We push it away. And so Jesus wants to expose that to us. He wants to, to, to share these parables so that we understand this is what we do in our hearts. We push him away. But he also wants to provoke us to think, to ask questions, to really understand what it is that God wants to say through his son. And so we get into this section, the second section in Mark chapter 4. We get into some parables that are in other parts of Scripture, but specifically some parables that are only in Mark's gospel. And these parables seem to all have one main thing in common. They all have to do with growth. Remember what Jesus said at the end of the, the parable of the, uh, of the soils. He says in verse 20 of chapter 4, but they are the ones, this is the, uh, they are the seeds that fell on good soil. They're the ones sown on good soil. Those who hear the word, accept it, and notice, bear fruit, some 30, some 60, and 100 fold. And so Jesus here is going to continue. He's, this is the same, according to Mark, this is the same conversation. At least Mark wants us to put these things together. That Jesus is saying all these things together. That when God sows the seed, when Jesus sows the seed, when the message of who He is and what He came to do is is in our hearing, that is intended to have an effect on us. And that effect is long-term. It leads to growth. So how does God's kingdom grow? We're going to look at that today. So picking up up at verse 21, Jesus says to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a bed, or, or, or I'm sorry, under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? He's asking a pretty obvious question. We heard something similar in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus said, look, if you light a lamp, you don't hide the lamp. You light a lamp so you can see what you need to see, whether you want to see it or not. You hold that lamp up. And so here he goes on to say, listen, for there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. So so what is he talking about here? He's talking about this reality that one of the purposes of his word in sowing the word is to, to show us something about ourselves. The word of God is a light. In fact, the psalmist says, the entrance of your word, O Lord, brings light. So God's word shines on us. It it, it shows us stuff that we need to see even if we don't want to see it. And so what he's talking about here is this reality that that when God speaks, it exposes something about us. And that's why he says these sobering words, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Hey, are you paying attention? Now this is, I want to bring up the first of three kind of principles about how the kingdom grows Now, and the first one is this, that growth comes as the word is received by faith. Growth comes as the word is received by faith. And you need to understand, guys, that faith starts with our own need being exposed. We put our faith in Jesus. Those of us who are Jesus followers, we've put our faith in Jesus because we've come to realize we need to. There's a need there. It's not just a life improvement plan. We need God to save us. We need God to do something radical in us. And we know that because that need was exposed by the Word itself. The author of Hebrews writes it this way. Listen, I'm quoting from the New Living Translation. 
The author writes, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. This is what the Word does. This is why we push it away. (laughs) Who wants to be exposed? Anybody here volunteer to share every thought that they've had this week? Anybody want to come up and share every private thought that they've had this week? No. (laughs) We don't want you to come up and do that. (laughs) We, We know what goes on in our hearts, don't we? Or at least we sense it, but we try to keep it in the dark. But what God's Word does is expose who we really are on the inside. And God doesn't do that to be harsh. God doesn't do that because He's trying to be manipulative. He does that to show us our need. You go to the GP and you say, Doctor, I have a pain in my side. Doctor says, I'm sure it's nothing. I'll tell you what, let's schedule this appointment in the hospital and we're going to put you under for a while. We're going to cut you open. Is that okay? You're going to go, what? What do you mean? What are you, some psycho? You're gonna, no, you can't cut me open. But if that doctor says, let me tell you what that is. As we've done x-rays, as we've done blood tests, we know that that is something cancerous and it has to be cut out. So you will gladly go under the knife to get that thing out if it will help. The need has to be exposed before the surgery can happen. And so this is what Jesus is saying is going to happen. And it, you almost get the sense that he's, he's saying to his audience who's, who's heard the parable of the, so, the soils. Because remember, three out of four of those people were going, oh man, I'm that soil, I'm not the good soil. That they're hearing this and they're going, oh, well this isn't any fun to hear. This doesn't sound like the kingdom's going to be a blast to me. But he's saying, don't you understand? Why else would light be there but to show a need? You see, faith starts with our need being exposed. But also, faith grows as we use what we know. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed what you hear. What is the message you're hearing? Interesting, Luke's gospel records, Take heed how you hear. How are you responding to that message? Jesus says, With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, and you who hear, to you who hear, more will be given. Now that sounds good so far. All right, God, I'm listening. This sounds good. I'm willing to take the bad news first. That's fine. Tell me more. That sounds good. But notice what he says, verse 25. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But notice what he says. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Remember, we're talking about this first principle of how the kingdom grows. The kingdom grows as the word, God's word, is received by faith. But being received by faith is not a one-time gig. It's not like, you know, one day I heard a message at church and I knew I needed Jesus as Savior and I accepted Jesus as Savior. Sorted. It's all done. No, God wants to keep speaking and keep changing us by His Word, and that Word needs to be continually being received by faith. And here's how you know you're receiving by faith. You do what it says. You respond to what He says. Again, the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 5, deals with a similar issue. 
he says to those he's writing to, he says, in fact, I'm reading from the NIV now, he says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not uh, acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature. Notice, who by constant use, that's the measure of maturity, who by constant use have trained themselves to, be, to distinguish good from evil. See, we, we want to make sure that we don't make this mistake, especially those of us here in Servants Church, because let's be honest, we spend a lot of time looking at God's Word. We really highly value God's Word. Don't apologize for that. But the temptation for us can be, okay, I understand it. I have my head around this idea, this theological truth. I must be okay. No, God calls us to respond to it. Our faith grows by doing. Faith's a muscle. You have to exercise it. You use it or you lose it. Trust me, I'm 48, I know. (laughs) That's the way muscle works. You use it or you lose it. And this is what faith is like. Think about this. This is how it works in all relationships, isn't it? So, so when Sarah and I were first married almost 26 years ago, we trusted each other enough to commit our lives to each other before God. But guess what? There was still a lot of growth and trust that needed to take place. It was hard. You know, I wasn't sure if I, I could be as vulnerable to her as I wanted to be or she wasn't sure she could be as vulnerable to me as she wanted to be. And we grew over time in that. How did we grow? Small, Acts of faith. We, we grew in trust because, well, she would, I, I would take a risk and tell her something and she would honor that and keep it secret. Or she would take a risk and tell me something and I would blow it off and then have to repent and go to apologize and she'd forgive me. <laughs> but we ended up growing in trust towards each other. Isn't that the way it is with all relationships? So God's calling us into this relationship and he's saying, listen, I want you to grow in this by hearing my words and responding to what I say. See, I think sometimes we, we make um, this wrong distinction between obedience and faith. And it's unfortunate. Because we see faith as simply like a, an intellectual assent, and obedience is us doing things. And so as good Christians, as good gospel-centered Christians, we believe that we're saved, we're made right with God, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And therefore, because it's by faith alone, works have nothing to do with it. So then we think, okay, works are kind of like a nice add-on. They're like you buy a new house, and the the works are like the curtains that you hang up, the tablecloth that you lay out. They're nice additions. They make things more attractive. But it's not that simple. God calls us to walk by faith. Not because our faith earns something, but because in His love for us, He wants us to grow. And we grow, listen, by receiving the Word by faith, and that includes using what you know. Do you know why there there are people that have been Christians for two years that seem to really be mature and strong after two years of being Christians? Because they're doing what they know in the Word. Do you know why there's Christians who've been Christians for 30 years and they're still kind of going goo-goo-ga-ga and drooling all the time? It's because they don't do what they know. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, listen, 
And this is a sobering warning. He's saying, if you're not going to respond to what I say, even what I've said to you is going to be lost. I want you to think about that practically. You're hearing the words of Jesus this morning. How are you going to respond to these things this morning? Now, growth in the kingdom comes as we receive the word by faith. Lord, I want to hear what you say. I want to do what you say. Not by my strength, but by yours. Not for my glory, but for yours. Not to earn salvation, but to celebrate a salvation that's already been freely given to me. Now, he goes on to say, in verse 26, he he tells another parable. He says, The kingdom of God is as a man as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by, by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow, he himself does not know how. Notice what it says in the first part of verse 28, that the earth yields crops by itself. Now, we are learning more and more about how seeds work. We know now that the DNA needed, the information needed for a plant, a particular species of plant, is all in in that seed. But how that seed then becomes a plant, we know that certain things happen, but we we still don't know fully how it works. There's still a mystery even to how it works. But here's what we know. It works. (laughs) You stick a, a corn seed in the ground, guess what grows? A corn plant. This is what works. Now, the point that Jesus is making here, he's wanting to be clear that, listen, that growth in the kingdom, this is the second principle, growth in the kingdom of God comes as God gives the increase. What did he say? Verse 28, right? The earth yields crops by itself. In other words, he wants us to know, he wants his hearers to know, it's not our sowing that does the growing. Yeah, we have to sow the seed. God calls us to sow the seed. But we don't give the increase. Look, look what Paul said about his own ministry and that of Apollos. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So that neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, I don't know about you, but this takes a whole big weight off my shoulders. Because my responsibility is to sow. I just got to give you the truth of God's Word. I need to, as much as I can, make it as clear as I can, say, here it is, and it's God's work to cause you to grow. It takes a lot of weight off me. It takes a lot of pressure off me. I don't have to figure out, okay, how can I somehow coat the seed so that it'll grow in? How can I? I don't have to do that. I just have to, okay, am I rightly identifying the seed of God's Word? And am I understanding who I'm presenting that seed to? If those things are there, I can trust God's going to give it, cause it to grow. And guess what? When he causes it to grow, who gets the glory? He does. God gets the glory. Now, I want you to think about this because this really has a, can have an impact on how we do ministry. Because you might think, okay, I'm, I'm, I think I'm sowing, you know? I think I'm, I'm, I'm sharing as best as I can. I think I'm... I'm trying to do this, but I don't see it working. It just doesn't seem to work. Well, how do you know? You, you lay down to sleep, you rise up during the day, and you go, huh, I don't see anything sprouting yet. Well, you don't know what God's doing. 
You know, one of the things that happens when we go, about once a month we go out and do some street work on the street. We go out and we hand out leaflets. We try to have conversations with people. We invite people to church and just see what God might do. Occasionally, it's great. We have amazing conversations. A lot of times, it's not so great. People are just like, whatever, no, thanks. You're one of those people. Okay, forget it. And it's hard to do. But, but you know that the reality is that the, the, the thing that I keep remembering every time we go out there on the street is that, you know what, we might be sowing a seed into someone's life that's never heard anything about the gospel before. Or we might be watering a seed that's been there for a long time. How long does a seed need to be watered before it finally begins to break through? I wonder if each of us were, who are Jesus followers, if we shared our stories about how we finally came to faith. Was it just one person who shared with you and sowed seed into your life and prayed for you and modeled grace for you and then prayed with you to receive Christ? Just one person? I doubt it. It's probably several people sowing, watering, praying, demonstrating, serving. And God gave the increase. Isn't it great to know that the growth of the kingdom isn't dependent upon you or even us? That God wants to grow? God is growing His kingdom through the little things that we sow. And Jesus says, that, look, it's, it's, it's going to be this way. He goes on to say, listen, verse 28. He goes on to say, here's how it works. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. Now he's describing a, an obvious agricultural process. Seed goes in, it grows slowly, sometimes unobservably, and then eventually you kind of go, oh, here's what it is. Have you guys ever seen those videos, you know, that show kind of a plant growing like in a, in a, uh, in a time lapse, you know what I'm talking about, you know? So you just, and it's like, oh, look at that, so cool. But we don't go out in our gardens and go, oh, you shouldn't. You look like a crazy person to your neighbor, so don't do that. But but it does, it is an amazing thing that the seed growth happen. But usually we don't get to see growth happen. We just see that it has happened. Now, it's something to understand here. In, in this example, Jesus is, is saying, okay, the seed gets planted into the ground, and because it's related into the ground, it's, it's staying there in the ground, it has a relationship with the ground. As long as that re- relationship is maintained, what happens? It grows. In other words, listen, Jesus is saying growth is a process that requires relationship. It's God that gives the increase, therefore, guess how our growth comes as we stay in relationship. Isn't this what Jesus said in John chapter 15? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, that is, stays connected. And I in him bears much fruit, for without me he can, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. He goes on to say, you'll bear much fruit and the Father will be glorified. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? He's saying, listen, here's how fruit happens. Not you stressing to go, fruit, produce fruit. But by you simply abiding in him. You rightly relating to Jesus. Do you know why my mouth moves and my hands move and I can walk back and forth. You know why? Because my head tells them to. See, here's the problem we have as God's people. We kind of think, I want to know, am I a hand or am I the foot? 
Or am I the nose? Or am I the elbow? What am I? Where's my place in the body of Christ? What a waste of time. You know what we need to do? Am I rightly connected to the head? Who's the head? Jesus. If we abide in Him, Lord, it's Your righteousness that allows me to approach God with such confidence, to know that I'm His child. Lord, it's, it's, it's Your Spirit that is working in me so that I can seek You in prayer, that I can understand Your Word when I, when I read it. God, it's You that I want to meet with when I do these things. Jesus, I want to be close to You. And guess what happens? As we're close to Him, as we walk with Him, you know what He begins to do? Produce fruit in us and through us. One of the coolest things about being a part of the Calvary Chapel movement, which is the movement that we're connected to as Servants Church, is the fact that there has absolutely been no strategy, to a fault, to be honest. Sometimes it drives me nuts there's no strategy. I mean, they don't plan anything. I've seriously, I've been to conferences, and what's the theme? Well, we don't know, we're going to see what the Lord does. Really? I mean, there's no planning sometimes. It drives me nuts. But I have to say, you know what no one can deny? God did it. Because none of these guys had the ability to do it. God did it. God took a middle-aged bald guy and used him to reach literally tens of thousands of surfers and hippies who were drugged out and messed up and who were radically changed and then planted hundreds of churches around the world. How does that happen? Because one of the things that this, that man learned that he ter- told us that we've learned is, you know what? It's not us that produces the fruit. It's Jesus who does. So abide in him. Rest in him. Hold fast to him. Jesus is telling this parable because he doesn't want these guys striving to make the kingdom come. Not just abide in him. Relate to him. He says in verse 29, but when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now this is important because we're talking again about uh, growth comes as God gives the increase. And you need to know that increase has a goal. That growth has a goal. God has an end game in mind. It's not just growing infinitely. Nothing, in, nothing really does that. There's an end game. There's a, there is a point of maturity. Now that maturity has both a, you might say, a temporal expression and an eternal expression. But both are really summed up in the same word. Let's see if you can pick up that word. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 4. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing every way more, every, yeah, every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. What's the measure of maturity there? It's love. Do you realize this is how we identify growth in our midst? God, we love you more than we did last week (laughs) or last year. Lord, we we love each other more than we did last week or last year. Lord, we love the lost more than we did last week or last year. Lord, we love your truth more than we did last week or last year. We grow in love. Do you realize what heaven's going to be like? When heaven comes down, when we are united with God, abiding with God, you know what it's going to be? 
we are going to finally love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, no interruptions, no distractions. We'll see him as we, we are, we'll know him as we're known and we will love him perfectly. Is that going to be amazing? You know what else is going to happen? We're finally going to love each other perfectly. Do you know there's not going to be any apologies in heaven? You know why? No mistakes. We're going to love each other perfectly. How glorious is that? Think about how, what, oh, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133 says, right? It is a great time, isn't it, when we're together and we're seeking God together and we're enjoying what God's doing and we're ministering to each other. We're like, oh, this is so good. We just want this to last forever. It's going to. And it's going to be better than it is. There's a harvest coming. And Jesus is saying, in the kingdom, here's what's happening. Look, you don't know how that growth comes, but you can identify the growth. You know that growth, has to, it comes through relationship. And guess what? There's a harvest coming, and it's going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing. This is his kingdom. This is why we study his word. This is why we want to hear from God, because we want to be changed and grow in love. Then he said, verse 30, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? He says, it is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But he says, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes uh, greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its trees. Now let me just point out a couple of things. Even though the, the New King James here says that the mustard seed is the smallest on the earth, that's what Jesus is saying, his audience would have understood that Jesus is, is speaking as a parable. He's, he's using what's called a, a proverbial saying. So in a, in a Jewish mindset, uh, mustard seed equated small. It was a very small seed, but there were other seeds that were smaller. But in most common Jewish gardens, the mustard seed would have been the smallest seed that you would have planted. Therefore, it became like a proverb for smallness. So you might call your little baby, there's my cute little mustard seed, you know, something like that. So it's this idea of smallness, you know, mustard seed. Now, what's interesting, though, he says that this mustard seed, it has a very, it's small, it starts out really small, but it, it grows to the greatest of all the herbs in the garden. Now, it is like a, a biannual herb, and it does get quite large. It can get up to um, six, uh, seven feet. It can. Usually it doesn't. Usually it's, it stays quite spindly. Usually it maybe grows about three or four foot and then it's no good. Now, this is important. It's important to understand this because Jesus is obviously saying something that says, look, this is going to have a small beginning. The kingdom's going to be like this really small, almost insignificant beginning, but it's going to grow unusually large. It's going to have an unusually large impact. And he wants them to understand this. He's not just saying, yeah, it was small, it's going to get big. Well, everything starts small and gets bigger, but he's saying, no, this is going to start small, smaller than anybody would ever think, and it's going to get unusually grand. Now, the Jews who heard this would have thought, yeah, that, that's cool, that, that makes sense, and that's exciting. Because they, that was part of their history. They started off incredibly small, one man, one woman. And God says to Abraham, or Abram at the time, uh, it, from you, from your seed, I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm going to make your descendants like 
the sand on the seashore, like the stars in the sky. It's going to be really, you start small, but it's going to be grand. Now, it's important that we recognize this because Jesus is also, though, flipping the expectations of his audience on their head. Because the Jews could not wait for Messiah to come. They couldn't wait for God's chosen king to, to come because they were an occupied people. They were in Jerusalem, they were in Israel, but that Israel was occupied by the Romans. It was run by the Romans. So they were at the mercy of the Romans. And they knew, they saw that from the Old Testament that this Messiah, when God's Messiah would come, he would be a conquering king. And the book of Revelation affirms that, that Jesus comes as a conquering king. But what they didn't see, at least most of them didn't see, was that Jesus comes twice. The first time as a suffering servant. And then when he returns, he comes as a conquering king. So when he comes the first time as a suffering servant, listen, they're thinking, you, this, you're the chosen king, God's chosen king, this is what the kingdom's going to be about? Really? Not too impressive. The Romans, let's be honest, they're more impressive. And he's flipping this upside down. He goes, look, you're not going to be impressed at first, but this is going to have... Great influence. Now, notice that he also says, though, he says that this is going to grow to a point that, so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Now, I want to share with you something that I will be honest. I want to be really upfront and honest. Most Bible commentators don't agree with me about this. And, and in almost 99 times out of 100, I'll go, oops, I was wrong. This time, I'm holding my ground. Jesus said, right, how will you understand the parables unless you understand the parable of the soils, right? He said that. I'm not making it up. In the parable of the soils, he interprets who the birds are. Who are the birds? Demons. Satan, basically. The, the enemy snatches the seed. So it makes sense that if we are going to be consistent in how we interpret Scripture, that the birds of the air here are a reference to demonic influences, evil influences. In the book of Revelation, we see that as well. I think it's Revelation chapter 18 where it talks about the, the, the Babylon, this false religious world system. And, and it, it, using this, this symbolism, it says that, that it's, it's full of every evil bird and every unclean bird. And it's in reference in the context to demonic influences. Now, so what's Jesus saying? He seems to me to be saying this. Listen, it's gonna, the, the kingdom's going to have this unusually large impact and it's going to be so grand that there's going to be evil influences that find shade in its midst. Does that not rightly describe church history? You look at the history of the Christian church and what do you see? Massive impact. So much done for good and also what? Some really awful things done in the name of Jesus. I think Jesus was preparing us for this. That there's a reality here. And actually, this actually fits with the whole tone of the New Testament. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul says, But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, Paul writes. He says, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Not or there are many adversaries. This is what you see throughout the New Testament, right? God opening doors, expanding the kingdom, and this great resistance. And often that resistance comes from what? From within. Have you ever read the, the New Testament? 
Have you ever read the epistles? What does Paul do? He writes to the church. He says, there are people in your midst that are dodgy. You need to deal with those guys. In your midst. Birds are finding shelter under the shade of God's kingdom. This is what happens. I believe this is what he's saying. I admit most commentaries, uh, commentators outside our movement don't agree with us, but I still think this is the best way to see this text. But here's the point. God's kingdom, it, has, it grows, listen, growth comes in spite of evil influences. See, growing in love doesn't mean stopping, ending resistance. Growing in love doesn't mean we're not going to still have struggles or difficulties or have enemies. No, growing in love means we love our enemies. Growing in love means we, we love God, therefore we stand against the wiles of the, of the devil. No, growth comes in spite of that. This is so important for us to understand. God's growing his kingdom. He's growing you as an individual in his kingdom if you put your faith in Jesus. He's growing us as a church, as part of God's kingdom. He's growing the kingdom at large around the world, but it's not happening without resistance. There's oftentimes this corruption. Yet God's kingdom is still going to come. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is building his kingdom? Do you believe he's building his kingdom in your heart? He's teaching you to trust his good and sovereign leadership. Do you believe God is building his kingdom in our church? He's changing people and he's saving people and he's growing people. Do you believe God is reaching people in this city? Do you believe God is still at work in Great Britain? Do you believe God is still bringing his kingdom to this world? Do you believe that? Because you should. Guys, let's take God at his word. Let's pursue him and expect him to grow us. It's not about numbers. It's not about what it looks like from the outside. It's about us becoming like Jesus.